right, welcome to Out of the Blue from the Block and Podcast, part of the Fan First Sports Network, a podcast that inspired most of the work of John Philip Sousa. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com and the Block and Podcast Network. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate of the same place. Andy Bailey, a man who is, of course, known as the wise prophet Ezekiel of Michigan podcasting. How the hell are you, sir? I'm doing well, man. Good to be back with you for a special, special, dare I say, just an excellent episode of Out of Blue this week. Uh, Saying it's special is underselling it. We've got a banger for you incoming. Jake Butt, ladies and gentlemen, two-time All-American, former Michigan captain, current Big Ten color analyst, will be on to talk Michigan State. Excited for that. Make sure you stick around for that interview. We've got some other stuff that we want to touch base on. Any quick hits? I don't think there's anything that's happened since we last potted. That was but a day and a half ago. No, no, nothing much. Blake Corum has been giving quotes that kind of make me feel like I'm about to be in the Battle of the Bastards scene in Game of Thrones, like just getting me ready for this weekend. But nothing too much going on. Yeah, if there is ever an invasion of some kind, I want to be in battle with Blake Corum, Harbaugh. Like, I'm immediately headed for Ann Arbor. I'm like, look, just just tell me what doors I'm kicking oh, in, boys. We do have the Harbaugh quote, if you want to talk about it real quick, The talking about the 2021 Michigan-Michigan State game. And it was a wise man for uh, a wise man forgives, a smart man forgets, and a Harbaugh remembers. That's a hard quote, sir. <laughs> It's like that's awesome. Like, like some of the hardballisms are all like dad energy. This one is like burn the ships. We're coming yeah. for it all. <laughs> you get warm the cockles of the heart, and then like this, just when a man is in a bunker in war and the shells are bursting overhead, you're like, good lord. All it's right. Like when he, it's like when he got to San Francisco and he said, "We're gonna burn the grass to find all the snakes." I was like, <laughs> what does that even mean? I was like, well, this is awesome. Like I'm jacked up. I don't know what this is. <laughs> God, I love hate week. Uh, it is indeed hate week. It is it is great. Not as great as some hate weeks we've had in the past. Doesn't quite feel right when they are going through what they're going through. We will discuss that in the back half of this. But I uh, wanted to do a quick little segment here. We're a little past the halfway mark. We've got a bye week coming up after Sparty. Wanted to kind of take stock of where Wolverines are at in the NFL discussion about if we were to run the draft right now. So let's run through this real quick. Uh, we'll do our best to, to take some guesses on who might be coming back and where they might go if the draft were held right now. I perused some mock drafts for this exercise. Mock drafts are kind of pointless this early, yeah. but some of them can at least give you an idea of where people are at. Um, there are some some clips and some snippets of what pro scouts are saying. So we have a little bit to go on here. Uh, you want to start at the top or, or start at the bottom and work our way up to the top? Let's start at the top, you know. Let's not, let's not bury the lead here. Let us not bury the lead. J.J. McCarthy currently, if the draft were held today, would be a top 10 pick. Uh, I think as high as four overall. Can he overtake Drake May or even Caleb Williams at this point, I guess, is really the question. But start to separate as the third quarterback. I don't think he can over, overtake the top two. I think uh, if J.J. McCarthy is projected to go to the top ten, he will go to the draft. But even if Michigan re- achieves all their goals this year in terms of team success, if he's projected to be in after ten, I think there's a chance he returns. Yeah, and we talked a little bit about the Sam Webb quote that it's more possible than people think. Yep. That would be, I mean, obviously this is not some breaking news here or clever insight. JJ coming back completely changes the trajectory of things. So fair that we start here, but I do think he would probably be a top 10 pick if I had to guess right now. Some people might prefer Michael Penix. There may be even some sickos out there that like Quinn Ewers over JJ. That would be incorrect. I think he's pretty firmly in that third to fourth quarterback off the board. One thing with Penix too, he'll be 24 when he's drafted. Like he's a sixth right. year quarterback right now. Like he is very right. old in terms of draft. I believe he's only seven months younger than Trevor Lawrence. So it's like, you're wow. just losing a few crucial years of development there. <clears throat> yep, absolutely. Second player off the board. If we were to run the draft today, I had it as Roman Wilson. Uh, that is not what the mock drafts are saying. I've seen Zinter and Jenkins both in first round projections. I think I've maybe seen Roman in one. Um, but I, I don't know. I think just with the position being as valued as it is right now and Roman Wilson, that size maybe scares you off 10 years ago. But now, you know, like you brought up with that great point about who's catching the most touchdowns are all around six foot now. So I, I do think he could go top 20 first round. Definitely no later than second round. If you were to hold it today. 
I think it's definitely in the top two rounds. It's just such a wide receiver dense class. Like you have mm-hmm. Malik Neighbors and um, at LSU, you have Roman Dunze at Washington, you have Keon Coleman, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Abuka. So it's just like a very dense class. So that could be the reason he falls. But it's also a player too where it's like, if JJ returns, do you return next year in a, a lighter wide receiver class as well? Because the wide receiver and quarterback class are kind of the same this year where they're just extremely kind of uniquely deep. Yeah, but guys do always emerge. Keon Coleman was not projected to be a first-round pick until the season started, and he emerged. Mm-hmm. So if you're in that top five wide receivers and you're a first two-round guy, they would probably advise you to go. But we'll we'll see with how the, the rest of the season shakes out. But I too, do totally agree, J.J. coming back and having Changes just another it. monster season. I mean, you could separate in the record books, too, at yeah. Michigan with another season. So very interesting one. Uh, Chris Jenkins, Zach Zinter, I have rounding out the potential late first round, early second round, or just second round in general picks. Uh, does that sound right? Is there anybody we need to move up? Are those guys too high? No, that that's perfect. I mean, <clears throat> the the three you've named recently with Roman Wilson and these two is it's it's the right area. Uh, I think Chris Jenkins could be the second one off the board because of his position. Defensive tackle class isn't as deep. He's going to test just bananas at the combine with what he's going to do. And then Zinter's only going as low as he will because of he plays guard. If he played tackle, like he would be one of the top ten picks in this draft. But because he plays guard, he'll go a little lower than he should. But some teams will still reach for a, a guard as good as Zinter, and I still think he'll be the top guard taken in the draft. Is there any potential for folks moving Zach Zinter out to the outside? Because I know there's some talk of maybe moving Joe Alt from the outside to the inside. That's a totally different type of move. Um, yeah. Usually you don't see that, but is there anyone that could see Zinter and think maybe he's got some positional versatility? I He could, but I don't think you'd mess with it because he's such a good right guard. Right. Like he is just so fluent at that position. It's kind of like what you saw the Colts do. Like I think you do the same thing with Zinter. Like you take him in, you plug and play right away. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, another name to be mentioned here in round two, just because I literally read a scout that said he would be in round two. Uh, if that And that was if he didn't come back and we were just using his tape up to this point. And that's Rod Moore. So Rod Moore has some outstanding tape from last year. Obviously, I don't need to tell you that. Uh, but you said that you think he, he could stand to come back for another year just because this year's tape not quite as convincing. It's the tape and the injury concern because he's missed some games early on. He's still trying to get his feet underneath him. Like there's a lot of season left. The important parts of the season are left too. So if he shines out there, like it's going to be understandable where he's drafted. But I, I, I told it to you in the off season. I said, he reminds me of Brian branch at Alabama. And you see what Brian branch is doing now from the Detroit lions. Like he just brings that kind of complete game, like where he's as good in coverage as he is at the run. Like he's put on some weight. He has everything there. Like the tape last year was outstanding. And if he has a strong finish to this season, you could see him taking as high as the late first, early second, because he's just so sharp between the ears. It just remains to be seen if he can fully get back to form before the year's over. For what it's worth, I have this uh, pegged as a guy that does come back. I think Rod Moore would make sense to come back. I think he would come back and be a part of a really, really good defense. Him and Will Johnson solidify your secondary. I think we like what Keon Sab brings. So all of a sudden, you're you're getting a whole other year, and that kind of a defense could be good for him as well. Um, All right, rounds three through five. I've got a huge list of people here. I think this is where the majority of the Wolverines are going to fall in this draft. And that would be historically accurate, uh, especially under Jim Harbaugh. This is where we put a lot of guys into the draft is this three to five, three to six range guys in this category, Trevor Keegan, Blake Corum, Drake Nugent, Junior Colson, Mike Sainris still one I want to talk about. Um, Carson Barnhart, Jalen Harrell, Braden McGregor, maybe worth talking about. Ladarius Henderson, one to watch for a riser, I think uh, mm-hmm. could be a very fast <clears throat> riser and Donovan Edwards. Anybody that you want to move up into this range? Anybody that shouldn't be there? Mm. No, I think I think you've done a really good job establishing this. Uh, like I said, Ladarius Henderson's a riser to watch. I think <clears throat> Drake Nugent, Colson could also be risers to watch in this because Barnhart could return. Um, Sainer still, oh, we should have discussion about him because I think he could go down just because he's very small. Like it's noticeable on a college field. And like, I think it would be even further exacerbated at the NFL level. It's not a skill thing. It's just the the size and durability kind of scares you a little bit. Sure. And I mean, bringing him in as a nickel, I'm not sure to how many teams are going to really want to take a, a swing on that in the third round towards yeah. the fifth, sixth, seventh round. I think maybe you'll take a swing on that for a smaller nickel, but probably not a border uh, uh 
boundary corner, excuse me. No. So yeah, that that's one to look at. I totally agree with Darius Henderson, one to rise and Harold and Braden McGregor, anybody that's an edge rusher that has good size plays at Michigan, going to play in some good games. If you finish strong down the stretch, you can really rise as an edge rusher as well. Yeah, I think I think Harold will test pretty well at the combine. And uh, the last name here is a name to watch out for to return, and that's Donovan Edwards, who before mm-hmm. the season was being mocked ahead of Corum in a lot of drafts because of what he can bring as a pass catcher and things like that. And I still think it could be one, even if he doesn't have the production this year, he could go high because he brings such an upside in the receiving game. Yep. Nope. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. Blake Corum is an interesting one just because of the position he plays. He's going to be drafted, and I just can't imagine – later than the fourth round he's just the talent is just too too much to let him slip too far yeah and I think this year's doing him a lot of favors one he's shown he's healthy with the knee he looks 100 110 percent and two he's not having a lot of carries put on his body so it's not like he's having like a full season it's kind of more like a half season at this point and honestly he should be the first running back taken off the board like I I think that should be running away he's just that good you and I talked about in the offseason like when you watch Blake Corm's tape just from what a running back is reading what they're supposed to do there's nothing more you could ask for from that position that he doesn't bring even if you don't have a great offensive line he's going to be able to find seams so I mean he's going to be just completely team agnostic wherever he goes he's going to be awesome so uh all right let's keep moving here late rounds to undrafted i think josh wallace Macari page cornelius johnson fall into this category anyone can rise and i mean anyone could fall to undrafted i do think cornelius johnson's probably already put enough on tape that yeah. he'll at least someone will take a shot on him um i don't see him going undrafted josh wallace just needs to keep doing what he's doing and will probably get drafted he's got good size good leadership he's played for a while plays cornerback uh, makari page just probably more the pedigree um he's a highly recruited guy played well we've seen a lot of michigan safeties that didn't necessarily have super flashy college careers go on to be successful in the nfl josh metellus jared wilson so would would just be kind of another in that lineage and then cam good i just i'm a cam good fan very good at football and i i think that he could he could rise as well and maybe he goes undrafted but i just feel like he's gonna stick wherever he goes i think so too and you have the brian monet thing with cam good always in the back of your head where it's like man brian monet put it together and cam good looks better than that so i'm with you on that one makari page another name that could return should return i think and like really helps solidify the secondary. The COVID year, man, just always throws you for a loop when you're looking at these guys because more often than not, they could return. Technically, Blake Corum could come back. He's not going to. I can say that with 100% certainty. He's not going to, but he could. Like that's how weird the eligibility is, and we're almost finally away from that. There's still going to be a couple more classes where we got to kind of delineate who's staying and who's going based off that one year. Yeah, yeah, you bring back Barnhart, you bring back Macari Page and Rod Moore. That's a pretty strong foundation. So if you can just get those guys that we've identified as potential returners to come back, that's really nice. Uh, undrafted guys, I've got Trente Jones, could very well return. I think yep. he should return or could look at transferring, although he's next up. I, I yeah. hope he doesn't transfer. So it'd be good to have him on the roster. And Mike Barrett, who still could get drafted late rounds, had his best game of the season. I'm a big Mike Barrett fan. The size works against him at the next level, but you're not going to bet against the the heart and the work ethic. No, and the fact that he kind of has – you've seen the positional versatility and what he can bring, especially on the special teams. You've seen him close to the line of scrimmage. You've seen him different linebacker positions, and we've seen him excel in different aspects and whatever he's tasked with. He just seems like the ultimate kind of team guy, and you can use him no matter what kind of system you're running at the next level. Totally agree. Anybody that we missed here, I'm sure there's somebody that we've missed that that is eligible that could still go, but I think we hit them all. Yeah, I'm trying to run through my head. Um, there's always going to be a weird one. Like, I mean, Jamon Green went last season. We just didn't really see that one happening. Maybe he knew the time was passing him up. But there will be somebody that goes, and you're just kind of like, huh, well, okay. But I think we have it nailed down for the most part. I'm with you. This was a fun exercise. We'll check in on this as we get closer to the end of the season. But for now, on to hate week. This is what we are here for. We signed up for it. And uh, another fellow Michigan faithful and fan but a little bit more than that Big Ten color analyst Jake Butt is joining the show now. Please enjoy that interview we recorded yesterday with a Michigan legend. 
All right. We are privileged, nay honored, to welcome back to the show two-time All-American, former Mackey Award winner, former team captain, Michigan legend, Big Ten color analyst, and one of America's finest living men, Jake Butt. Jake, <laughs> thanks for taking the time today, man. man that's, a, that's a hell of an intro, man. I'll, I'll hang out with you guys anytime. Uh, excited <laughs> to join the show. Excited to talk some ball. Got some fun games this weekend. Man, seriously, uh, let's get into it, man. So let's start at the top here. This is a Wolverines podcast. We've won 19 consecutive Big Ten games, matching the longest streak in program history. Could you just wax poetic for a moment on what you've seen from this Michigan team over this recent stretch and what it takes to reach this level of consistency that they found now? Yeah, I mean, when you say recent stretch, you kind of have to go all the way back to 2021. And it's to me, you know, from talking to guys, it seems like seeds were planted then um, and they've been watered and been able to flourish since then. I mean, you go back to that year and Michigan enters the season unranked. You know, a lot of even Michigan fans thought maybe they need to move on from Coach Harbaugh and, you know, 0.2% chance to win the Big Ten title. And it's funny because. With all that pressure, it seemed like instead of resisting and like almost even trying harder, they just kind of let go of the outside noise. I think they just said, like, F this, man. It's just us in the locker room. It's just us in the coaching staff, and let's trust it. Um, and, and, of course, the leadership, I think, has been one of the biggest pieces of growth that they were missing. You know, to have Aiden Hutchinson on that side of the ball, um, to, to even have Cade McNamara, who's a perfect guy for the job in terms of just providing stability, Hassan Haskins, what he did, um, the, the leadership on that team was what elevated them in a time of like uncertainty and turmoil. And then lo those leaders helped last year's leaders, Blake, Ronnie Bell, right? Um, this year you have great leadership. I mean, they, the, the good thing is for Michigan is the best players are the hardest workers. Like I heard Aiden Hutchinson. Couldn't keep him out of the film room. It's the same thing with Blake this year, even coming off his injuries. And there's this psychological aspect of it where, you know, no one gave Michigan a chance in 2021, but they beat Ohio State and they won a Big Ten championship. And then there was a divide where, you know, some people said, well, great, Michigan's the number one team. Well, other people said, hey, man, you have to beat Ohio State in Columbus. You only did it once. And now they did it. Now they did it again in Columbus last year. And now you're entering the season where, you know, people are picking with confidence Michigan to win a national title. To me, I think they're the number one team in the country. And I, I really think right now they're playing like a team that still remembers that TCU game last year. They told us they would learn from it. They told us. Everyone says that, though. Everyone, you know, now it's a thing where players stay out and they watch the other team in the confetti. Not, not always do they actually do the things necessary to improve upon it. This team has on both sides of the football. I think a big piece of this is J.J. McCarthy has taken that step that we were all hopeful to see. And, and the scheme with Sharon Moore, they're letting him air this thing out. That will benefit them down the stretch of the season, man. They can run the ball on anybody, but if you want to win a national title, they need this J.J. McCarthy to continue the rest of the season. I think one thing that's really helped JJ's development and this team's development from not only 2021 to now, but just from last year to now is the continuity within the coaching staff. Like how important do you think that is for this team and their growth? Having Sharon Moore back as offensive coordinator, Jesse Mentor back as defensive coordinator in terms of learning, growing, and just continuing to evolve the offense and the defense. It's an extremely underrated piece of this. I mean, we talk about the sophomore leap in terms of players all the time. And like, why is that? Well, you're one, there's... There's something to be said. You're kind of just figuring things out as a freshman, as a as a first time number one play caller for for Sharon Moore. Um, and then you you have that body of work to build on year two. What what also helps is when you're installing a playbook, you are installing a language. Like you are learning what these words mean, and then you have to learn. Hey, this word means three different things based on what the defense presents or what the offense presents. So year one, I always make the analogy, you're kind of going wide, like you're installing everything wide, but since it's so new, you can't go too deep. Well, year two, everything's already been installed. The foundation's been installed. So then you can go deep. You can add those wrinkles. And that's what you're seeing. Um, you know, this offseason, it wasn't any huge leap on the defensive side of the football. It was like, hey, man, we got to work on our tackling angles at time. That's what killed us. Maybe we take the ball away a little bit more. Offensively, it's like, hey, let, we know we can run the ball. How can we find a number one receiver? How can we get JJ to throw the ball more? So they had the luxury of having all the talent coming back this year where they could start to scheme on some of the finer details. 80% of it 
was good enough. I mean, they could roll out with it exactly what they did last year and still win a Big Ten title. But they they had the luxury to work on those little pieces that can make all the difference down the stretch of the season. So yeah, that's a great. Oh, great point about the uh, yeah the the complexity of that and, and how they've been able to install install that as well. So looking at their opponent this weekend, Michigan State, what have you seen from them? They're two and four, coming off a pretty heartbreaking loss to Rutgers. But when you look at this Michigan offense, the way they've been able to execute, how do you see them attacking this Michigan State defense, which is actually improved a little bit from last year? Yeah, Nathan Carter is, um, you know, probably one of the more underrated backs in the country. Like no no one's really picking, you know, a two and four, picking players off the two and four team. And they went back and forth between Kim and Hauser. They got Malik Carr, the tight end. Like, you know, don't be mistaken about this, the record. I thought they, they've lost a lot of games, right? Like they, yeah. that, that game was won. The game was quite simply won. And you have to, you know, hold a lot of this on the special teams. It's, the special teams kind of screwed them. Um, you know, even the Maryland game, I'm looking at how many opportunities they had to win against a good Maryland team, and they lost that game. So, I mean, look, Michigan is going to be better than a lot of teams that they play this year. This week is no different. But Michigan State, it's this is not a horrendously bad football team. They do some nice things. They do play complementary football. They can throw it downfield, and they're willing to try. They can run the ball with their running backs, and they're willing to try. But, I mean, they – this is just it's so hard to move the ball against this Michigan defense because do you want to try to run it? Well, good luck. The defensive front is eight deep, you know, across the 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 interior and the edges. The linebackers are four deep. The safeties can come down and hit you and the corners are good enough where you're fine playing coverage with them. It's it's extremely complimentary and they present so many challenges. As someone that's played in this game several times, how does it compare to other games? Like, is it different? Is the intensity on the field? Because you have a unique perspective because in 2014, Michigan was a big underdog. In 2015, mm-hmm. it was very much a peer versus peer, highly anticipated game. And in 2016, Michigan was the big favorite. Is there any different in preparation, feeling, or anything surrounding this rivalry game? So the all everything you just said is is something that is a factor in, in any game every every year, except for Michigan State. Because, like, you know, look, Ohio State, there is a surrounding aura of respect between the programs. And listen, like, look, I was part of that 2013 game. There was a fight on the field. So don't, don't get me wrong. Like, you're still going to get in a fight against Ohio State, but there's still respect. Whereas Michigan State, like the first word that comes to mind always is hatred. Yeah. And I don't say that as like a bad thing, to be honest with you. Like, I like the emotions of football. And hate is a beautiful emotion when it comes to football. Now we gotta avoid crossing the line like what we've seen in recent history as well, for sure. Let's 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 make that very clear. But this is a game where like records don't matter. And and from that hatred, here's what we know about Michigan State. Their season will be made if they can beat Michigan. Everything else doesn't matter. Those guys in the locker room are telling themselves, if we can beat our rivals, who cares what else happened, man? That's that's the sweetest victory that they can pursue, and they're gonna try to pursue it this weekend. Absolutely. And looking at that team and what they're going through, kind of some of the off the field stuff that's going on with the Mel Tucker situation, the the dreadful loss to Rutgers. You got the tunnel incident last year. How can they stay focused? And you look at this Michigan State team outside of this being their Super Bowl. What do you do when your program is kind of going like that? How do you internalize and how do you keep the team together? Look, that's 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 a question a lot of people I, we're you're trying to solve that question since the beginning of time, right? Like I think really answering the question isn't easy because it's not really something that is able to be answered because what it really starts with is leadership within the locker room. You need to have got, just like we talked about with Aiden Hutchinson, that team looks completely different in 2021 if they don't have outstanding leadership. So anytime there's noise and turmoil outside, someone in the locker room or a group of guys in a locker room, who are excellent players on the football field and they perform and they show up and you know you can count on are also your hardest workers and are also vocal enough to say, guys, like this is about us and rally the troops. If you can do that and stay focused on the moment, I mean, that that that's the number one thing to do. But look, th- th- this, this program is in transition outside of this game, just big picture. This program is in transition. They really have to hit on this next head coach. I don't think they're going to get a splash head coach name, to be completely yeah. honest with you. I think they're going to have to hit on a coach that's ascending. Um, you know, Mark D'Antonio, what he did so well, it's not like he had 
five stars all over the roster. He was getting the two and three stars that, and then developing them. And he was identifying them as underrated guys on sale as two and three stars. And then he'd develop them and he would instill this will. No one was better at getting his team to feel disrespected than Mark D'Antonio was with Michigan State. And I think they've gotten away from that in recent history. So um, that's another piece of this. You know the number one thing? Win. If you can win, <laughs> if you can win, that's the number one thing. And, and the tough part is, is coming off that game last week, when you have a win in your hands and it falls out, that can be very, very deflating. Jake, now that we have you here, we have to talk tight ends before we let you go. Like, it just – it has to come up. So – what this year, what stands out to you about Colson Loveland's development, specifically as a blocker, and the way AJ Barner has acclimated himself to this offense, which is highly demanding for tight ends in both the passing game and the blocking game? Colston, I really think, has the chance to be one of, if not, he's in that conversation um, to be one of the best tight ends to ever play at the University of Michigan. He checks every box to me. I mean, I saw him uh, in the spring going into his freshman year and like there's a nuance to route running like a corner route in the playbook is a straight line up to 10 yards and then it's a 45 degree to 25 but that's not football a good route runner knows how to make that corner route look like an out route or the corner route looks like a sit versus zone they have feel they know how to win versus uh smaller bodies but quicker bodies or bigger bodies like a linebacker but slower bodies that's that's colston man he has he knows the art of running routes and he's got soft hands and he's got a great feel and he's a his blocking i think he put on some weight this offseason mm-hmm. because i think the blocking has taken a pretty big step forward which only benefits him um the good thing is is he had aj barner come in and and it's not just aj it's it's how michigan has approached the transfer portal aj was a captain at indiana right he's a leader yeah. what a valuable thing to have as a veteran presence in a room where your best your best player is still a sophomore and still learning the game um, so what AJ does is he kind of fits that Luke Schoonmaker type body type where he's more of the why he can block, he can mix it up with his hand in the dirt. So certainly Colston can do that as well, but he's also an extremely valuable route runner and pass catcher that they complement each other. Colston is a great route runner, great pass catcher, and he can block. AJ is a great blocker and he can run routes, right? So it makes it really hard for a t- uh, team to stop. Jake, you'll be on the call for Nebraska Northwestern this weekend. Definitely going to have to check that out. We also have Penn State, Ohio State this weekend. So 30,000-foot view, what do you expect to see out of that game, and what kind of separation do you expect to see happening in the Big Ten after a pretty eventful weekend? To be honest, this is I, I don't see much separation coming out of this game. I think it's going to be an extremely close game. I think these are two excellent football teams. Um, you know, the, the fact this is on the road makes things interesting because – Drew Aller's numbers at home versus on the road. He's two different quarterbacks. Uh, James Franklin's teams have struggled on the road. They've struggled versus ranked opponents. But as I've looked at this, man, I've called two Penn State games. I've called an Ohio State game. This Penn State team has been extremely impressive to me. And, And I think about what Manny Diaz is on defense. And that's a defensive coordinator for Penn State, for those that don't know. He is an aggressive play caller. Like, you watch him, you know, have seven guys lined up at the line of scrimmage. He is downhill. He wants to bring pressure, and he wants to simulate pressure. Ohio State has to have a plan for pressure. Here's why. McCord is also two different quarterbacks. When he has a clean pocket, it's about 70% completion rate, about 11 and a half yards per completion. When he's under pressure, that goes down to like 37% completion rate and less than two yards per completion. I, those things complement each other. You see what I'm saying here? Manny yeah. Diaz wants to bring the blitz, and they average four and a half sacks per game. They're good at getting home. McCord struggles when he has pressure in his lap. So it's on the Buckeye offensive line, which I think is the weakest part of their offense. It's on the running backs and tight ends to have a plan for pressure. Because if you do, as we know, though I love Johnny Dixon and Kalen King, I love this secondary of Penn State, no one's really going toe-to-toe to dance with Marvin Harrison Jr. and Abuka for four quarters. I think that's the number one key. And, you know, on the on the flip side, Drew Aller, man, this is why they brought him. You know, Sean Clifford's an underrated quarterback. He won a lot of football games. But Penn State brought Drew Aller, the five-star, in for this game to help elevate their program to the next level. It's not a career-defining opportunity. You have a bunch of football ahead of them, but – Man, a win right here is is a, a potential huge chance for him to get his career rolling in the right direction. 
Certainly going to be a big weekend in the Big Ten. Uh, Speaking of the Big Ten, sir, you've been doing outstanding work with the Big Ten as a color analyst. You've been incredible on every call that I've been able to check out. Tell us a little bit about what you got going on. Where can we find your work? What's next for you? Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm active on social media, and I I interact with people, and I love it. You just search my name on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm on there. Literally reach out and make a comment, ask questions, and I'll respond to it. So I have fun with that. All over the Big Ten Network, I have a show, daily show at 2 p.m. Eastern called Red Corner, Blue Corner with a former Ohio State linebacker who's currently working at NBC, Joshua Perry. So we also take fan questions. It's kind of like a fan interactive show. It's a great time. So um, the biggest thing is, is I'm a, I'm a lucky one. I'm just kind of a regular person that gets, you know, that played football and gets to talk about football for a living. So I, I like to interact with everybody. You know, I'm a fan of football. So if you're a fan, reach out to me and, and we'll make a, you know, have some nice conversations. He's a man of his word. That's how we got him on the podcast today. Just reached out and a couple hours later, got Jake Butt, All-American, two-time All-American, sitting across <laughs> from Thanks for chopping it up with us, man. We really appreciate right, it. And right. as always, go blue. Bring him home, baby. Bring him home. It's time. Bring him home. Let's, Let's go. go. All right. We'll see you guys later. Thanks, Jake. Later, man. All right. We are back. We are Righteous Men. College football remains very good special thank you again to jake but one of the all-time greats for coming on love love chopping it up with that guy and just his insights man just one of the best doing it right now let's be real about it it's it's so it's awesome to see how much better he's gotten too because we were talking off air about how fast the game felt to him when he was calling the hawaii michigan game last year his first time in the booth and just you can you can feel the comfortability the way he talks about the game the way he just i don't know kind of carries himself in the public atmosphere now it's awesome to see a rise happen that quickly because normally it takes years yeah absolutely and we didn't prep him with questions he said we can go any direction we want the dude was just ready for whatever we threw at him so consummate professional thanks again to jake for joining us on that one i mean next Uh, time we're gonna rank tarantino movies he said anything's on the table so so (laughs) come on here we're gonna talk about the hateful eight for a little bit got a 45 minutes set aside Um, i need your thoughts on walton goggins jake please go (laughs) Expand on that. (laughs) Um, Before we get into our Michigan State coverage and our picks, uh, one Wolverine in the NFL I wanted to touch on, and that is DJ Wandrago Turner, Turner, uh, because Wandrago is a superior name. I don't know why he's going by DJ. If you've got that baller of a name, that is fire. You need to be using that. But Wandrago has been shut down through six weeks, not really being talked about. We haven't talked about him a ton on this podcast because, to be honest, Cincinnati hasn't been very fun to watch. Um, and I'm not going to sit there and, and grind through all their defensive tape, but I was able to watch a little bit of it. This is last week's numbers. He's had 144 coverage snaps, 15 targets, five receptions allowed. That's only 43 yards. He's allowed no touchdowns, and he's batted down two balls. 42.4 passer rating when targeted. Already looking like a shutdown corner. And I don't know that we have to take the L on this. I think we just thought it might take a little while, but did not expect him to come in and be a shutdown corner immediately for the Bengals. These are the L's we were happy to take. I mean, like when it's this good, like we thought he could be good. We saw the flashes last year. It could be inconsistent at times. But, like, we knew the speed was there. We knew just the natural technique. We saw it in 2021 how effortless and how natural he took to the position. So, I mean, I think we were right in our assessment, but he proved us wrong and just kind of expedited the process. So I'll take that one. Yeah, happy to take that. We remember he had the 40-yard dash time of 4.26, which we were like, is someone uh, just a little jumpy on the gun there, on the, on the timing machine? Because that is moving, but it's translated, man. He's been outstanding, and I'm going to have to tune in for more Cincinnati games, especially on defense, to watch uh, Juan Drago next to Dax Hill. That's a lot of sauce. That's a lot of sauce in the secondary. It's a lot of sauce and it's a lot of speed. And honestly, I'll take it like because I got so sick and tired of watching so many Patriots games just to keep up with Michigan players. All right, let's talk skins game here. I took an L in the mid bowl, but I was able to salvage some dignity by beating you in the skins game. We redrafted for the second half of the season. I have JJ passing touchdowns. There were three of them. You had quorum touchdowns. There were two of them. This was, by the way, kind of a fun little matchup until until later on. Uh, yes. Roman Wilson's. Um, Roman Wilson there is that that got me two for the receiving. You got Roman Wilson in pass or JJ passing yards. So that got yep. you two because he went over 200. 
Blake Corum rushing yards uh, again didn't go over 100, so I only got one point there. You got Josiah Stewart half tackle for loss. Yeah, let's round it up. Give you a point. Let's go. Uh, I had Mike Sainer still, who had the pass broken up on yep. the uh, that led to the interception. Uh, Mason Graham, I think, had he had the the two tackles for loss, right? Only had one. Ah, uh, okay. So we'll reduce that to one point for you for Mason Graham. I had Braden McGregor. Uh, he took a, a zero on this one. And Will Johnson. Uh, they, yeah, I wish there was a point of award, awarded for avoided at all costs because they certainly avoided Will Johnson. No points for Will Johnson. And then this is where I ran away with it. Rod Moore with the pick got me four points. And J, you had no JJ rushing touchdowns. And then we uh, are the, the funnest of the day. We each drafted a youngster. And I got Tyler Morris. And you got Samaj Morgan. You got me by one point. Yeah, because he had fifth. Tyler Morris had fifty-four yards. So by our roundup rule, you got the point. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" By four yards, it didn't That's matter it though. Rod Moore won you the week. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I like this redraft. I think that things evened out a little bit on this one. So uh, we'll see how the second half unfolds, sir. Shall we get into our Michigan State coverage? been waiting for this one man like i get excited for every team preview but like when it's hate week no matter if they're down they're up they're in between like there's always just a little little something extra i feel in the air this michigan state preview is brought to you by the people at autograph we're excited about this next announcement tom brady and the team at autograph have just announced the release of a game-changing new app that recognizes michigan fans for their acts of fandom the autograph fandom app gives you access to all your favorite michigan content fan challenges and exclusive rewards for diehard wolverines all for doing the things you already do like listening to this podcast head over to the apple app store and search for autograph rewarding fans and download it for free today because look tom brady asked it of you and you need to respond. All right. It's hate week, sir. One of our favorite weeks of the year. Like we said at the top, it feels a little down, but that is not going to stop us. We're going to get these jokes off. We're going to have a couple laughs at their expense, and we're certainly going to enjoy what should be a drubbing. Michigan is favored by 24 and a half points, minus 3,000 on the money line. So Vegas seems to agree with us and a lot of the Michigan faithful that this won't be much of a contest, but they're still going to roll out the ball, sir. So let's get into it. This is Michigan State Super Bowl. This is everything on the table. This is a way to immediately wipe out and remove all sins, wash them from the season. You beat Michigan. You play spoiler. You put all the pressure on the Wolverines. Like You have nothing to lose. You can just play free, let your hair down. You haven't beaten a Power 5 team this season. What do you have to lose? That's their mentality coming in. They want to muck this thing up. They want to just play spoiler, ruin the year. They want to just, they're, they are Scrooge on Christmas. They want nothing to do with this. They That's all their whole goal is here. They're wearing the all black. Like everything is on the table. This is a kitchen sink game for the Spartans. You know, the quote from Nick Saban, where it's never date someone who has less to lose than you. One of my favorite quotes. It's a great quote and it rings true. And this kind of feels a little bit like that quote. I, I was reminded of it because we're playing a team with absolutely nothing to lose. That's going to give it every single thing they got. They're filled with vitriol and hatred. Uh, we know that from how they responded at the end of the game last year. There, yeah. there really is nothing for them to lose. So we're going to get their best effort. Um, I, I don't really want to comment on like the extracurriculars more than I already did there. But like there's probably going to be some pushing and some shoving in this one. It's definitely going to be emotional, even if everything we're hearing from the Michigan side is everything you want to hear going into a, a game like this and that they're focused they are ready I do tend to believe them but we've been watching football long enough to know that this one gets emotional exactly this is a, a veteran Michigan team and team 144 has done one of the best jobs I've ever seen at the collegiate level of always playing yourself not only playing your competition but playing yourself like that's why they're able to just stay up not play down to the level of their opponent and put everybody away before the fourth quarter. They're just focused on what they have to do and executing at a high level. And if they can continue to do that against Michigan State this weekend, it's going to be a runaway. But Michigan State wants to bring them down into the muck, make this a dirty, sloppy, mistake-filled, penalty-filled game, and then they're going to have a chance to play upset. 
So let's look at their offense. They're coming off a loss in one of the more cursed games you'll ever watch <laughs> against Rutgers. Uh, the team's kind of a mess on offense. Quarterback position is up in the air. There's not really an offensive team identity, and they have not beaten a Power 5 opponent. So I have to imagine the Michigan defense looking at this Michigan State offense like Bielma looks like a platter of breakfast ribs. <laughs> I mean, that's what you have to think about. This is uh, one of the worst Michigan State offenses I can remember. I, probably, I don't know if 2019 was worse. You at least have to go back that far to start looking at a few of these. Just the indecision, the uncertainty across it. Jay Johnson's lost all rhythm as a play caller. They, they try to establish Nate Carter in the run game, but they don't have enough steady passing game at the quarterback position or the weapons outside to play make. Because, I mean, you think back to this team just two years ago, and you're dealing with Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed. Kenneth Walker, a young Keon Coleman, like just weapons all over the place. And now you're looking at you know, Malik Carr. Does that really scare you that much? Nathan Carter. Does yeah. That keep you up at night. And it does not. Let me go ahead and spoil that for you. Yeah, I, I'm with you on this one. It looks like it's going to be Caton Hauser at quarterback instead of Noah Kim. Uh, when I first looked at the name, I, I could have swore it was Caitlin just missing an L. But if he is, in fact, missing an L, no worries. We're going to hand him a big old fat L this week. Hey, Caton Hauser, Hauser does look a little bit better than Noah Kim from what I saw uh, at Rutgers last week. That's not saying much because Noah Kim, my goodness, just not inspiring confidence, was one of the lowest graded passers in the Big Ten. But this is a huge step up in competition for Hauser. I mean, we already played Rutgers, so we have an idea of what their defense looks like and what we were able to accomplish against that Rutgers defense. Transitive property does not exist in college football. I understand that. But it gives you something to compare upon. So what is he going to be able to do against this Michigan defense, especially if they can't get Nathan Carter going, who's averaging 4.7 yards a carry? A decent threat out of the backfield, Nathan Carter yeah. is, but like we were just alluding to, not a Kenneth Walker type of talent by, by any stretch of the imagination. No, and a few of Michigan State's fatal flaws on offense feed right into what Michigan does well. I mean, this is one of the worst teams in the country at allowing tackles for loss. They, on average, allow six per game, which is just kind of staggering to look at. I believe the worst in the country is eight, so they're really towards the bottom in that one. And the other one is – where'd my stats go? Oh, there it is. They are one of the worst third down teams in the country as well. They're 101 in the country on third down conversion. So I think a lot of the issue is they get in third and longs. And because they can't really run the football, they fall behind the downs. They don't stay on schedule. And then that just makes them have to force and do something on third down. And when you don't have the playmakers around you, it just makes it even more difficult. The most basic stat, the ones we like to look at, scoring offense, scoring defense, they are 109 in scoring offense, 111th in rushing, and 70th in passing. We're actually tied for 70th, 70th with passing offense, but it's how you get there, I think. Yeah, that, that yeah. The efficiency and attempt numbers matter. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so there's some context required for that. But um, yeah, also uh, worth mentioning here, one of the most penalized teams in the country, top five most penalized teams in the country. So they beat themselves a lot, particularly on offense, things like holds, turnovers, um, turnovers, turnovers on special teams. So I would expect those to continue in this game. They're going to have to play nearly flawless to keep it close. They have to play absolutely flawless in order to pull the upset. They haven't shown the propensity to do that. No, they're number 125 in the country in turnover margin at negative four on the season. So definitely, <laughs> definitely not what you want to see. And like, I know a lot's been made about Hauser taking over, but he and Kim are like eerily similar because the offense is just very much has a governor on it. Like they're not trying to go down the field because they're just trying to like just methodically work their way down, dink and dunk and ease the pressure and what the quarterback has to read. So on the season, uh, Hauser is averaging 6.5 yards an attempt. Kim averaged 6.8. Uh, Hauser's completing 60%. Kim was just at 57. So very similar within the restraints of the offense. And going against a Michigan defense, it's going to give you crazy looks, blitzes, stunts, twists, all the movement you can imagine. I just think Hauser's going to be overwhelmed. If you're going to try and dink and dunk your way down the field, that essentially saying you're you're playing a ball control type of offense. You need to make a lot of conversion. There's going to be a lot of third down attempts that have you need to, to run. Convert. 
Yeah, exactly. You're going to need to be able to run to get into third and short, third and manageables and stuff like that. And that just doesn't sound like a plan of attack that even a, a much more competent offense would be able to execute against this Michigan defense right now. So I think they're going to have to get weird with it. Some trick plays. Absolutely. I think you have I think you have to take some shots. I, I yeah. really do in this game. So I would not be surprised if they try to take the top off, uh, look for mismatches, maybe try to pick out Keon Sab in this one and see if you can get one early. Keep this thing low scoring. Uh, well, they they don't want it to be low scoring necessarily, but they have no other choice than to try and play a low scoring game with their offense. I think one of the best things that happened to Michigan last week was giving up that touchdown on a trick play. So now they're more aware and alert to it. So I think they're going to be even more keyed into what they have to do against Michigan state, because you're going to see something you're going to see a faked punt, a faked field goal, a double pass, a reverse pass, half back. You're going to see something like that because they have to generate offense. They are desperate. This is a clean out the playbook type of game. So, like, you're going to see it. So, it's very important for Michigan's defense to stay just locked into their assignments, just their 111th, and don't go try to play hero, like, hero ball in a rivalry game. Absolutely. Don't play hero ball on either side of the ball, particularly yes. on defense. Stay with your man, stay on your assignment, and you should come out victorious. Let's move over to the Michigan State defense. 61st in scoring defense, slightly actually improved from last year in a lot of yes. categories. Uh, not hard to do with where they finished last year, particularly as a pass defense. They were like one of the worst five pass defenses in the country. I forget exactly where they finished, but 114. There it is. Yeah, they were number 114 pass defense. Not great. So they gave up 26 touchdown passes last year. Oh, yeah, there it is, 114 in the country. Uh, they are currently number 57 against the pass. So that is dramatically better. That is a, a huge jump up. But nonetheless, I don't think that they've really fixed a lot of those problems that they had in their secondary. I think a lot of that is due to the competition that they faced. Um, they did face Washington already, which is the number one passing offense. But it didn't go we well. And exactly. And it didn't go well. So what are they going to be able to do against the the running back running attack of Michigan? And have they really figured anything out in the secondary or is it just going to be they're only doing all right against the, the medium passing attacks of the Big Ten and then the better passing attacks are absolutely exposing them? Yeah, against Washington, the Spartans gave up 713 yards of offense and 536 <laughs> through the air. <laughs> so outside of Washington, though, I mean, with that I mean, drastic number and they're weighing it down, they've actually done really well. And they've done it by emphasizing the strength of their defense, and that's the front seven. So Cal Halliday and Aaron Brule are solid linebackers. We, we've been hearing about Cal Halliday, it feels like a decade now. And Zion Young is a really good edge rusher, but like against bigger offensive lines, skilled receivers, it seems like the blitzing and that kind of Don Brownish gimmick kind of falls apart from the outside in as you're going to get more man coverage and the lines can hold up against six, seven man pressures. And then as the secondary falls, the interior falls as they have to adjust course. And it's going to be interesting to watch how they do this against Michigan with the receivers like Roman Wilson, who you just can't single cover across the middle. Yeah, watching those edge rushers versus our tackles is going to be a fascinating matchup. Uh, Jake Butt was just alluding to the improvement that we've seen from our tackles, and this will be the first real test since we brought Ladarius Henderson in and moved Carson Barnhart over to right. So certainly will be something to watch there. Their, their third down defense, they're number three in the country, which is actually pretty impressive. So once we get to third down, let's see what we're able to do and how we're able to move the ball on their defense. Um, keeping it third and short is going to be key for the Michigan yep offense don't get into a ton of third and long stay on schedule stay on schedule that's where where they excel um you're going to want to try and obviously this is not some crazy analysis but popping a few big plays in this one will be more important than some other match matchups just because of that third down defense so taking the top off switching field position things if you've watched enough michigan michigan state games you know field position really does matter a lot in this game so things mm -hmm. like staying on schedule the not sexy stuff will be really important in this one this is a game too where so Michigan State's coming off blowing an 18-point fourth quarter lead. And it's like it's kind of like the snowball effect. So if Michigan goes up seven-nothing, Michigan State starts making some mistakes and penalties set them back, they punt. Michigan, the Wolverines go up 14 to nothing. And then the Spartans are gonna start feeling like, here we go again. Here it is. Like that kind of mentality, that defeatist attitude is already in there it, innately just based on the season they're having, what happened last week. And this is not a Michigan State team that's built to come from behind this season, especially against Michigan. So I really think in this type of game where it's like they need everything to really go their way, if Michigan gets up 14-0 in this thing, I think the game's over. 
I was just going to say it feels like a game where you go up two scores and it's like, well, that's probably it for the day. I mean, like you said, not built to come from behind. If they're having to get, you know, big plays through the air, big chunk plays down the field to play catch up, that does not bode well for them. So I kind of see it the same way as you, brother. Um, Number 21 in red zone defense as well, which kind of goes to my, we need to get a big play or two in there because if you're getting down into the red zone, they can stiffen up a little bit. So a couple big plays for our offense will go a long way in this one. If it's early on, like you said, and it's Roman Wilson, 7-0, big play right off the top, you can probably predict a big day and a, a Michigan spread cover. And just think about what we've seen from Michigan on the road this season. We've seen fast starts in both games. So at Minnesota, second play of the game, pick six. Against Nebraska, it was 14-0 before you could blink. So, like, although they had the slow start last week in Indiana, I think that alerted them to be like, okay, we got to rectify this. we got to come out firing on all cylinders. So I expect a fast start in this game. They really want to put the pressure on the Spartans because right now all the pressure is on Michigan. Just come in here, get a win, get out. You have the season ahead of you, national championship aspirations and all of that. So if they can come in here and get a quick lead, all of that pressure immediately shifts to Michigan State to make this respectable. Otherwise, you risk getting historically blown out at home. 40% chance of rain on Saturday. They had some issues with their special teams handling punts and, and um, some of their execution on special teams in the rain. So another thing to keep their, your eye on, I would absolutely adore another trouble with the snap. We were able to celebrate that last year awesome. in person in attendance. Yeah, another trouble with the snap and Michigan scores on that. I think I could take another six to 12 of those and I'd be just fine. It, it does help. Makes it feel better. You know, heals some previous wounds of ours. So, like, we just screamed and our whole section started laughing. Like, it meant something to me, man. That was awesome. <laughs> Absolutely, man. All right, let's get into it. Swing player, man of the match on offense and defense and your score prediction. So, man. So, swing player is kind of the guy I'm just, like, hoping for the game, right? Yeah, yeah, that's what we were referring to it as before. But somebody that could swing the game. You can go offense and defense if you want. Oh, yeah. Swing swing player for this one. I want to go with I'm going to go with Cornelius Johnson in mm. this game. He's been known to show up in in rivalry moments, most notably Ohio State. He actually scored the final touchdown of the Michigan Michigan State game in 2019 as a youngster back then. So like that seems like it could be the one. Michigan hasn't run a lot of like just straight nine routes on the outside. And CJ is deceptively fast. I think you could see like some tests like that to really see what this defense can do. Uh, but my man of the match in this one, it's going to be JJ McCarthy. McCarthy has never like, historically played well in these games. I mean, two years ago, you had the you had the plays to Andrew Anthony, but you had the costly fumble on the mesh exchange with Quorum. Last year he was fine, but it was very much just under control. Don't screw it up. Let Blake Quorum carry us to victory. So I think this is going to be a big JJ McCarthy game. Um, defensively, let's keep it in the front seven. Let's let's in, let's take that six tackles for loss allowed per game, and let's bump that up. Those are rookie numbers. Let's get to double digits in this one. And as much as I want to go with like a hometown guy, like somebody that grew up in the rivalry, how can I pick anybody but Mason Graham right now? Like, give me Mason Graham just to wreak absolute havoc on this. They've not seen a defensive line like Michigan's. They haven't seen an offensive line for that matter. I just think it's going to be just just a mess in the backfield all afternoon, just really disrupting what Hauser can do. Absolutely no rhythm, just eliminating the quick passes, making him hold the ball. So I think it's going to be a big Mason Graham day. My swing player on defense, Junior Colson. I think it, it's it's time for some a big Junior Colson play here and there. Like not going too crazy on a limb with that, but I think Junior Colson is going to have a moment or two in this one. I think it's a runaway. I think this is Michigan's up 14 nothing before the seven-minute mark. I think Michigan State's going to struggle to move the ball up and down the field. They're going to do some crazy things. I went crazy in writing this week in our roundtable and put it and put it in paper, and I'm just going to double down here. Like, it's arrogant. It's probably going to come back to bite me. I have bet this line. I'm taking Michigan in a historic, historic fashion, 59-0. to Oh my gosh. I mean, adjust the britches, but I mean, that's that's going above and beyond that. I need to adjust my brain. I've been lowballing so much, but I've been saying like 45 to 7, and I've lowballed some games. So it's like, all right, see if I can go over. 
My man is here to do a lot. Playing is not one of the things he's here to do, I see. Uh, I like a lot of what you said there. My swing player for this one's going to be Donovan Edwards. I yes. think that that was the first of many that we saw last week. Thought about going with him for my player of the game, but I think it'll be more Donovan Edwards' good game. Goes above 50 yards rushing, maybe no. above 50 yards receiving, a touchdown or two in there. I could certainly see him having his way with this uh, secondary, particularly once he gets beyond the linebackers. Swing player on defense for me. I was also going to go Junior Colson, um, so I will mix it up a little bit. Let's go Macari Page here. Been quiet in that secondary. Haven't really called his name a lot, which doesn't necessarily mean bad things for a safety. Sometimes that just means they're doing their job, but I think that he could he could be in for a pick. I think he's the only guy in that secondary that hasn't donned the turnover buffs yet, so it's his time to get a pick in this one. Um, as far as my man of the match on offense and defense, I'm sticking with J.J. McCarthy. I've done that ever since we started doing this. I'm not going to go away from that. When you're talking about a potentially historic season and the record on the line and uh, the history of Michigan quarterbacks against Michigan State under Jim Harbaugh, I think he's due for a big game as well. So I'm not going to get off of that train now, even though Blake Corm's probably getting at least two, two tutties in this one as well. On defense, I think it's going to be Will Johnson. I think it's going to be Will Michigan Johnson, native. For, Michigan native, for a lot of the things that we said um, that they're going to have to do in this one, either if they get from get behind and have to come back in this one, which they're definitely going to be behind at some point, they're going to have to throw the ball and they're going to have to try and get creative with it. We saw Will Johnson um, bait the quarterback the other week into that throw, and I expect similar, similar results this week against Kaden Hauser. I think he'll bait him into one. Pick sixes have been uh, been coming out of the olive jar, so maybe another pick six. Would not hate it. Would not hate it. And my score, a little bit more conservative than yours, the 59 to nothing, but that's to be expected when uh, you go full Super Saiyan here. I'm going to go uh, Michigan 45, and I'm going to go Michigan State 14. I think that they will score. They're uh, the first offense to score two touchdowns on us. Uh, I think one will be late game, and I think one on some weird trickery. Some something stupid's going to happen. Something okay. stupid's going to happen, and they'll get one. Um, yeah, um, maybe forty-five ten. You're right about that. I don't want that because that would be the first one, wouldn't it? That would be the first team to score fourteen. Yep. Yeah, Minnesota so we'll scored the most on us in a single game. They scored ten. I just don't know that they would kick the field goal. Is kind of why I went with that. They're going to go for broke if they do happen to get some type of turnover some situation something weird happens and they're able to get 14 look man this game it just it looked last year we should have absolutely housed them last year and we weren't able to do it and this game gets weird it's on grass it could be raining it could be weird i just the game makes me nervous it's it's not like the ohio state game i think i'd probably be a little bit more bold in my ohio state prediction right now than i will in this weird game that i just kind of want to get out of healthy and move on to the next one I think the the biggest reason I feel so confident to give such an exuberant prediction is because of like what I talked about earlier, where this team just plays themselves. Like this Michigan team feels very dialed into who they are, and they have just been like just shown a propensity to always be the consummate professional. Like we're going to show up, we're going to handle business, we're going to kick your ass for three quarters. Business is booming, and then we're going to spend then we're going to send in the reserves, and they've been doing a hell of a job as well. So it's high. I understand that, but it's just like I feel so confident what we're going to do with the line of scrimmage. This isn't a trap game because last week you still have some things to clean up. Clean up. It's a state championship game. Uh, your point on grass is well taken. Michigan's three losses the last couple of years have all come on grass. The last time we've won on grass was 2021 Penn State. So that would be a nice kind of narrative to put the bed in this one as well. It could get messy out there. I think that favors Michigan. Uh, I'd love to see the, uh, all the all the native Michiganders have a big game like Macari Page, uh, Donovan Edwards, Braden McGregor, Carson Barnhart, Rayshon Benny, Will Johnson, all from the state. So it means a little bit more to them. So I'm going to change my swing player. Give me Braden McGregor. Give me the Michigan native in his last state championship. Ooh, I like it. I like it a lot. Braden McGregor. That's a really good one. I think he's going to have a big game. That's my guy. It's. Um, I love. I love that I predicted a 30 point spread cover and you're like yeah seems a little conservative i was like what is this okay I'm over here with ronald reagan I'm like all right <laughs> been called a lot of things in my life that's a first <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean it sounds i mean it is it is arrogant but i mean from the product we've seen on the field and what michigan has done and given the disarray in lansing and what they're dealing with and just the overall lack of talent on the roster like do you think we're being out of pocket 
No, I mean, we just went through this entire thing. There's nothing that I could talk myself into for Michigan State finds a way to win this game. If you were going to talk yourself into that, you would just have to go with the history of weirdness. But this team is a long, long way away from Kenneth Walker. They're far, far removed from the 2015-16 era teams under D'Antonio. So it's just a different team. They really, really are struggling right now. The execution's not there. So no, I can't, definitely can't talk myself into an upset. Just, we both just predicted the, the cover. Uh, your hammer in the cover this week. So yeah, it's going to be a beatdown. I don't really see any way, any way about it. I, I, I wrote in our doc, like the only way I could see Michigan state winning, there's a lot of ifs that have to fall into play. So they have to control the line of scrimmage against arguably the best offensive and defensive lines in the country. They have to create on trick plays, which Michigan just kind of got exposed on last week, but also alerted them to a flaw. So they're going to be more prepared for that. Uh, force the Wolverines into turnovers and penalties something Michigan has not done either of this season, like the least penalized team in football and have one of the best turnover margins in football. And Michigan State has to hold up in coverage. This team gave up 536 yards to Washington, like easily. I mean, that was basically through three quarters. So it's like, can you hold up against J.J. McCarthy, how dialed in he is now, and like with the statement he wants to make here. So I just can't see all of those things happening in one game. Exactly. When I was trying to do this exercise in my head, I was like, if JJ came out and had the exact same game he had against Bowling Green against Michigan State, could they beat us? And I'm like, it'd have to be more than three turnovers. Yeah. Like it, it really would in order for them to beat us because we would just start pounding the rock. I don't trust their ability to stop the run either. So we are really going to have to help them out in order for Michigan State to win this. Fun stat. Jim Harbaugh is undefeated at Michigan when he's plus one in the turnover margin. Never lost. Pretty important. Pretty important, sir. Uh, all right. Before we get out of here, let's look around the the rest of the college football landscape. What do you have your eye on in week eight, sir? Yeah. So I got our games broken up into three tiers again. I have our go to a pumpkin patch game. Let me know if any of these games stand out to you. I know you're a sicko like me. So we watch some pretty obscure football at times. So our go to a pumpkin patch games are UCF versus Oklahoma. I mean, Gus Malzahn's doing some fun things in central Florida, but I just don't think it's going to translate to Norman. Army versus LSU, need I say more? And the first to 10 bowl, Minnesota versus Iowa. The last time I checked, the over-under was set at 32 and a half. Who you got in that one? Uh, I've got me doing something else. <laughs> keep it in split screen. These three games, something to keep an eye on. Like it could be good or it could be a blowout. I have Oregon going to Washington State to take on Cam Ward and kind of a, I mean, just the last man standing. Like, I mean, Washington for Washington State, that is. Like, they need to win this game. If they're going to stay alive, they can pull an upset here and really just play spoiler to Oregon and land Danning. Uh, other game is Duke versus Florida State. Um, if you've watched Florida State more this year, there's Jordan Travis is kind of erratic. Like, it's just kind of like you get the full – it's kind of like Macari Page at quarterback where you get the – I'm sorry, Keon Sad at quarterback where you get, like, the really good play and then, like, the what the hell was that play – and they happen a lot, but uh, definitely an exciting team to watch. Duke looking to pull another upset or complete an upset because they failed. They were so close against Notre Dame. Uh, other game to keep in the split screen, Arizona State versus Washington. Very sneaky trap game. It's in Seattle, but Arizona State did beat Washington last year. The Huskies coming off one of the best wins of college football last week. Very emotional. So be interested to see how they rebound. This game should at least be close for a quarter or a half, if not the entire game. Watch it anywhere. Do not miss these three games this weekend. Penn State versus Ohio State at noon. I mean, need I say more? Like two future opponents. Going to learn a lot about both teams in this one. Big Ten could be on the line, so tune into that. Tennessee versus Alabama. It's a loser leaves town match. Both teams have one loss on their schedule already. Alabama's at least is out of conference. Tennessee's isn't, so it's like need to get it together here. Need to get this one. Keep the wind train moving if they're going to do anything this season. And Utah versus USC. Can the, can the Trojans bounce back against a, a Utah team that maybe Cam Rising's never going to play for this season? Like, I'm kind of starting to give up hope. Like, he's been teased every week, and he's never been out there. But tune into that one because Kyle Whittingham teams, even without a good quarterback, can get the job done. It's a tough matchup for USC, and they could really, really fall out of some conversations there. Who's your pick in Penn State, Ohio State? Uh, uh, you and I were discussing this off air. Like, every argument you're going to give me, I should pick Penn State. Like, I, I like what they do in the line of scrimmage. I think they have better players at certain areas. I think they have less holes. I just can't pick James Franklin in a big game. 
He hasn't beaten Ohio State since 2016. That's a long time ago. Like, I think, depending on the time of the year, Obama might have still been president. <laughs> like, that is that long ago. Like, I, I can't trust him in big games. He's in Columbus. I don't know how they're going to hold up against the Buka and Marvin Harrison Jr. Maybe Travion Henderson's back. I don't feel confident about the pick, but I'm going to take the Buckeyes in a close one. Yeah, I was leaning Penn State and didn't feel super confident in it. You've kind of talked me into it. And my reasoning being is that Drew Alars never faced a team even close to Ohio State's competency level on defense. And I'm not the biggest Ohio State defense guy, but this is a dramatic step up in competition for him. We just don't know yet. And they can't really run the ball. They're running attack. I mean, I can't wait to get into the Penn State versus Michigan matchup. I think we match up pretty well against them because we're going to be able to slow down their rushing attack. So can they run the ball on this Ohio State team uh, if they're unable to or Early on, I think that, yeah, you're absolutely right. Ohio State, just with their power and their their passing attacks, going to be able to take care of business there. Um, similarly, I've got my eye on UCF, Oklahoma as the potential upset, and I've got my eye on Duke, Florida State. But the fact that they're both like in Oklahoma and at Florida State at night, I can't, I can't quite get there on either of those either. I'm, so I'm going to go with my upset pick of the week. I'm going to go South Carolina over Mizzou. Oh, I like that one. Missouri's been a fun team to watch this. They have been. Really fun team to watch this year. Uh, One of the biggest things, uh, before we move completely off Penn State, Ohio State, is Drew Aller this season has 12 touchdowns, no picks. 11 of those touchdowns have come at home. Only one has come on the road. Like Jake Butt alluded to it earlier in the podcast, he's a drastically different quarterback home in a way, and I think that's just going to be expedited in this even further. Just the – it's going to be it's going to be something to watch. He's going to either going to be become a man or he's going to turn back into the pumpkin. Um, upset of the week pick for me. If if Riley is if Riley Leonard plays for Duke, I would take them over Florida State. Mm-hmm. I would I, like I would do, I would do that, but I'm not sure that he is. So I'm gonna you're not going to believe this. I'm going to take Tennessee over Alabama. I'm picking Tennessee Wild. in something. Big. wild that yeah i mean you're taking joe milton to go in there and navigate a nick saban defense Bold. i'm taking their rushing offense this year which has actually been pretty good uh six in the country i believe it's the yeah number one in p5 is tennessee's rushing attack this year and i think they're going to be able to run the ball it's a fun game of quarterbacks that like are athletic with big arms but not that good at quarterback so i think they kind of cancel each other out there and this isn't a typical saban team in the trenches i know i'm going to rue the day that i picked against nick saban and picked tennessee of all teams but uh right. yeah feel feeling the upset this weekend yeah i don't know what the spread on the ole miss auburn game is but i would be i'd be mindful i just don't buy ole miss running their their schedule and no. at, at some point a loss is coming and at auburn tricky place to play could be interesting, but yeah, fun, fun weekend of college football ahead of us. We've got hate week for us. We're going to know a lot more about the Big Ten after Penn State, Ohio State, and how those guys are going to match up against Michigan. We are getting into the, uh, the the absolute eye of the storm for college football. There's no place I'd rather be, no person I would rather navigate it with, sir. That is going to do it for us on Out of the Blue. Thanks again to Jake Butt. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast, where that Spotify app music or wherever i'm jared that's andy this is out of the blue and we'd like to remind you that wherever you go go blue